This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 224. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. You know what we've really dropped the ball on? Ooh, I love when we drop balls. We've been dropping the ball on these preliminary guides having any inclusion of like faction lore at all. I feel like I've just forgotten to ever even read these things. Oh my god, come on, Matt. They got two. (laughs) I'm like really into it now. (laughs) Almost back to back. Like the lore community (laughs) is taking over this show. And they need to be winning me over. Okay. Well, yeah, that's the thing is they're winning you over. So now they actually have a champion. The lore. Listen up, loreheads. Love you, Absol. Listen up, loreheads. The lore is stupid. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. It is stupid. That's why we make up our goofy, you know, Irish Letnev version of it okay no it's not stupid well it is stupid it's not stupid when you're talking about it community right but when i'm reading it by myself yeah i you are you here's here's my here's my point here's my refined point community when you are talking about lore you make it interesting yeah when i am reading the lore off the backs i'm thinking about like christian t peterson is a nut that's what i'm thinking i'm just thinking this nutty guy is just kind of rolling here and he needed someone to like raise their hand and be like all right what about this idea and he's just like he's just like no and then the next thing that happened the twilight wars began and so here's what i think though because what what he's developed is a pretty good setting for uh, a thing where everybody can be a hero and a villain, right? That's like the thing that works about TI is like they're all kind of bad, they're all kind of good, they're all just whatever. They're all in the middle. I, but you know what? I'm gonna push back. I think that's the fundamental problem. I sure, think that this this it's not complicated. It's not Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's like this should be Game of Thrones, but it is not. Yeah, that's hard to write. But here's here's what we were talking about uh, recently uh, in the in the wake of all these lore episodes that that I the way I think you and I feel about Twilight Imperium is Twilight Imperium is not a drama it's a comedy and and the gameplay of Twilight Imperium is a comedy so everyone who wants more books and more graphic novels and some big space opera you're all wrong what we need is a Saturday morning Twilight Imperium cartoon oh my like God, voiced yes. by you know all of the classic voice yeah. actors and just yeah. like goofy what we were talking about is we really want like imagine a Nas Roca buddy cop animated show where like the Nas and the like the guy on his back is voiced by uh the guy who voices uh the uh, pinky <laughs> what's his name uh well i know the other i know brain is maurice rob LaMarge. paulson <laughs> uh, yeah rob yeah paul rob paulson okay give, give me a yeah. rob paulson and a maurice de Lamarche combo of Nas Roca as just are the those, feature are those of guys a show. still doing it like sure. are they still around yeah man. yeah They'll they're still stop. working yeah yeah, I guess voice actors are kind of like that. They just keep going. Can we get, can, let me let me ask you this. Can we get Patrick Warburton in there? Can Patrick Warburton, what can Patrick Warburton do for oh, us? Muat, for... oh my, a big Muat egg-shaped guy <laughs> with Patrick Warburton's. Patrick Warburton. Yeah, that sounds really, really good. The war son, the war son for Cusco. 
<laughs> I did that exact same joke last time. It's, you it's did, but done. I still like it. Yeah. I'm surprised you, you. If you worked on that Patrick Warburton, yeah. that would be like really good. Like you're. It comes and, and goes. And also, he's just been on my mind lately because I've been me like everyone else have been watching a lot of Seinfeld since it moved to Netflix. Everyone's doing it. Everyone in the world is doing it. And I always forget that he's in that show and he's yeah. so good in it. He's like the perfect little like opposite energy to the rest <laughs> of the show. He's so funny, man. I can't believe that guy, like not to say that voice acting is not a lower form. Actually, it's a higher form, but it yeah. is a lower form when it comes to pay. And I know that for a fact. Right. Um, Patrick Warburton went from being on Seinfeld as like a great breakout character to voice acting, which always seemed weird to me because I'm like, dude, this guy is funnier in the flesh like mm -hmm. when you see his body yeah and then he says things it's hilarious <laughs> and like his voice works without it obviously because he's a great voice actor but at the same time i just find it weird that like why wasn't he in more stuff in the flesh what is yeah. this show what, what are we this recording show? This right is now where we get obsessed with voice actors uh as, yeah. as is our want to do <laughs> yes yeah that's that's our thing let's well, uh what let's are we yeah, we're doing preliminary guides today, though, for real. Uh, it's we got we got a handful <laughs> more of these into, to burn through. We were having fun, and now we're slipping into yeah, work voice. Back, All back right. to work. Sorry, Let's crack sorry, some everyone. knuckles. We'll, we'll do more strategy. Sorry, sorry, we did a little bit of fun there for a minute. Let's get back into it. <laughs> uh, so Hunter, Hunter and I played a game this week together as these uh -oh. two factions. Can we real quickly uh, talk about how weird that game was? <laughs> Um, so we played uh, together. We were neighbors. Yeah, which, which is, is rare. Recipe for disaster right there. Uh, playing with fire. I would say we did a really good job of, I think, just kind of giving each other space to yeah. play and not... <laughs> We didn't even really negotiate that much. Yeah. We tried to stay away from it, you know, so as to not ruin the game for the other players. Um, they, they don't want to get caught in our kind of married couple yeah. thing that we do where we're you and i you know, have gotten to the point where there is this silent understanding of you don't deal with me and i won't yell at you if you don't yeah. yell at me i won't yell at everybody else at the table like we'll just we let's just like not talk very much and yeah. we'll enjoy the whole process we don't need to better. talk to each other <laughs> i used to do a thing where i would i would say things in response to stuff you would say to other people i've really curbed that these days <laughs> I almost never say it's almost as if we're not even in the same game to uh -huh. be honest which is were you mad ideal. at any of, were you you were pretty mad at some of my deals with people the other day i just try at this point it like i filtered out of my brain <laughs> i don't even think about it i don't even think about it because i know if i think about it and i say something then bam that then we're in the we're in the butt then and i don't want to be there i just want to be playing a game with my friends and it's being streamed live yeah. Well, let's Twitch. let's talk about what we learned about these factions. Hunter, uh, you get to lead with the Asarl tribes. Yeah, uh, let's start in breaking it down component-wise. Yeah. Matt, sure. give me yeah. give me the back of yeah. the faction sheet. Oh, the whole thing. Okay, no. Let me get back into my. Sorry, I just did this, but I'll, okay, I'll do it again <laughs> if it's if it's by request. <clears throat> Near the Mahak Plateau, diagonal. No, uh, they start with Neural Motivator, uh, which is the action card draw tech. You get more action cards in the status phase. They start mm -hmm. with two carriers, one cruiser, two fighters, and five infantry and a PDS. Yeah. What? There's a lot there. Uh, they also have two planets in their home system. It's a one two and then a two three so three resources but only uh, but then also five influence yeah so, kind of a weird home system it's kind of a cool pok style home system but <laughs> right. in base game yeah. like i feel like all the pok home systems are all about like having maybe more influence than resources 
and having that just kind of feel like it's really nice that you can get a command counter round one is a sorrel that's like a special thing in any situation where diplo is picked round one obviously a sorrel has a lot to gain there mm -hmm. um just by virtue of the home system being fantastic neural motivator is the very natural starting tech for a sorrel will make sense because the, their whole thing is going to be action cards we're just it's just action card city today yeah. um they have probably one of the cleanest starts in the game if not the cleanest i mean it's two carrier uh you have a extra infantry which is nice yeah. uh two fighters exactly how many i would say a minimum you know to send a fighter with each right. carrier right. um or to send a fighter with one carrier and then leave one uh back behind because we do have that skilled retreat meta that you have to plan for <laughs> did, did you know this audience you have to leave a fighter with your space dock because otherwise uh some doofus will use skilled retreat in order to blockade your home system on round two or three um so i hope you're aware of that you should always keep a ship above your space dock so that, that you can't be skilled retreated into is that still something people do i am scarred because tg welch <laughs> did that to me like maybe two years ago now these guys are still... written off the back of nothing but unpleasant memories <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's nuts that i still think about that every single time I am playing Twilight Imperium. I'm like, oh, we've got to leave something behind because you don't want to have you don't want to have your empty uh, empty yeah. space dog in your home yeah, system. Yeah, yeah. Somebody might do something with that. Uh, right, the front side the of their sheet. yeah their 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 abilities are as such. They've got stall tactics, which is as an action you can discard one action card from your hand, which doesn't sound like an ability, right? It that sounds like a, right. a bad thing to do. But what yeah, it's really it's saying good. is use an action card so that you don't have to take a turn right now and you can stall out um I, I think maybe even newer players don't recognize how good stalling can be um so maybe there's a chance to to sort of like that's a good thing it's a good thing to wait yeah. out the round and then do stuff it has a twofold uh i would say there's two sides of the stalling coin there's the early game uh side of it which is Oh, I need these secondaries to happen in an order that works for me. Oh no, warfare is trying to stall me out. Mm -hmm. uh, then you can use stall tactics in order to not be stalled out um, uh, for whatever whatever secondary it is that you're trying to get accomplished. Now, obviously, it doesn't help you with people playing you know cards too quickly. Yeah. Um, we are a faction that only starts with three resources. So if we want to research tech round one, that means we're going to have to find a buck somewhere. So tech being played quickly is kind of a nuisance for us. We don't really love that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, I would say this makes your round one easier. And then, of course, it's going to kick in in a big way in the late game as well. Whenever we're trying to, you know, stall out our opponents, the situation where it is round five, it's the end of the game. And Asarl has taken leadership is a nightmare for everyone else because yeah. Asarl can stall everyone else out. And also, by the way, you can stall people out on leadership whenever you want, most of the time because yeah. of this ability. Yeah. Uh, their other two abilities are scheming. When you draw one or more action cards, draw one additional action card. Then choose and discard one action card from your hand. So you take it into your hand, get to look at all of your total cards, and then get rid of one. So you don't have to discard one of the two you drew. You can draw two and then discard some trash you drew earlier. Uh, and again, that's every time you draw action cards, status phase, politics, whatever. And then crafty, yeah. you can have any number of action cards in your hand. Game effects cannot prevent you from using this ability. There's an agenda that makes everybody only have three action cards except for Asarl because of crafty. Yeah. yeah. Although I will say uh, as we kind of touch on the rest of their abilities, that agenda, you don't really want that to happen, really, yeah. ever. Uh, right. you, you would never want your opponents to not 
have that many action cards because we're about to find out that most of those action cards are going to belong to you anyways. <laughs> right. Uh, their flagship is the Asiya Isarilla. Uh, it is a two on a five combat, so it's on the good side of the combat flagships. Uh, three capacity, two move, eight cost, all the normal stuff. Uh, but this ship can move through systems that contain other players' ships. Their flagship yeah, and actually, has light wave deflector. I got to rewind a little bit because it has two movement, Matt. That is not oh, normal. Sorry, That's right. I, I glanced over two movement. Every other flagship yeah. only has one. It actually has two movement. Um, so you don't even need gravity drive to get this flagship into good spots. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty cool utility flagship. Um, it's a shame that I think it doesn't, it, as far as their kit is concerned, I would describe it as non-essential not something we will focus on a lot but when it comes out you're like oh this is surprisingly good and i have heard uh mumbling from the community that maybe there is a place for the asaro flagship coming into play very early yeah i feel like we're, we've already talked about the home system they start with a resource deficiency yeah in general compared to um other factions so I don't know how much i sign on to this except for possibly in a situation where you have a high resource um slice yeah uh obviously uh you're only a three commodity faction as well which we haven't talked about yet but you are a three com meaning that you're just not the richest yeah you're just not the richest faction except for in a situation where hakan is possibly present because hakan has the ability to buy action cards you have a lot of action cards that's a lot of possible gamesmanship you can do with hakan mm -hmm. you have very interesting uh relationship with hakan the two of you can kind of uh i would say kind of run the table a little bit in some yeah. gross ways as we uh get further that will make more sense yeah um that they, they uh I, I think the problem with the flagship is mostly their early game tech desires uh we're, we're about to get into their faction tech and their top of the line faction tech is like a thing you want kind of almost as fast as possible maybe right which means you definitely want to tech every single time you have the opportunity which means you have money going towards tech more often than you have money going towards one huge expensive unit let's talk about that faction tech uh the first one is a single green which you start with the prerequisites for so you could get this at any time it's during your turn of the action phase players that have passed cannot play action cards this one has fallen out of favor in a pretty major way yeah i mean i'll, I'll say i'll go ahead and reveal so it's called transpare steel plating by the way oh, um, it is it is a card that it used to be like oh it's cool to shut down all the other players as far as their ability to play action cards at all, as long as you stall them out. Problem is now, um, <laughs> this will make this will make more sense as we keep going. You've been given so many abilities to uh, just kind of rob all of your friends of all of their action cards that the idea that they have anything <laughs> in their hand right. that you are worried about or don't already know about if it's if it actually is bad yeah. is a little bit laughable. It's like kind of, I would say, pretty easy to, as Isarl, mitigate everyone else's hands and kind of farm them out. So this has lost all of its teeth, I would say. If you're having a really good Isarl game, this is almost unnecessary. Now, there are some... We're going to talk about a strategy um, later on that I feel like is really mean, but it also feels like the most optimal. There is a world where you don't play into that, and in that world, I think this card has a place. Yeah. So this is, I think this is currently a not very favorable faction uh, tech, but in the future, I feel like we might see people push back against the traditional way that, that SRL is being played right now. Yeah. 
Conveniently, if you draw the two faction text secret, this is always in route because you're going to go, you're, you have it oh, available sure. and you're going down green almost regardless. Their second faction tech is Mageon in plants. It is three green requirements, so it's, it's a little bit before you get there. It's in the same place as X89 Bacterial Weapon, but it is as an action, exhaust this card to look at another player's hand of action cards. Choose one of those cards and add it to your hand. So look at a yes. player's entire hand and steal one of their cards. Yeah. So you get the you get the knowledge and you get the power of the card uh, that they drew. Um, this this was very good in base game. It's very good now. It has been improved because there is another there's a new POK tech um, called Biostims, which would allow you to uh, at the end of a turn refresh this this tech. So you get to use Magion twice. Uh, per round, yeah. if you are getting it by round three, we're seeing everyone else's hands uh, pretty fast. Yeah. Um, so I would say overall, this is like this tech is uh, uh, great and has only gotten better. Um, it's almost too good. I would say that Biosims Magion is very common and kind of a bummer to play against because the way it causes other players to play is they just start throwing their action cards away and they mm -hmm. just end up if they get a good action card they try and play it instantly because their assumption is i'm about to get magi on um it also kind of makes you into i would say more of a sort of house atreides style player <laughs> yeah um like in dune you can just keep track of what everyone has i mean right. i i do i do it easily whenever i play srl is just remember oh okay they've got this Oh, they drew one card. Am I going to mage on them to see that one card? Or, you know, it's always easy to figure out who is the optimal player that you can mage on because it's always the one with the most amount of cards that you don't already know about. Right. Um, yeah, very, very good tech. Uh, kind of bonkers. My uh, my trick in our most recent game, and it's not that big of a deal because if I'd had like a great card, I wouldn't have done this. But I, I had a particularly mediocre to bad hand of action cards and every time you were going around the table looking for your next magi on target i was just like hunter would you like to just look at my hand of cards so that i'm not your target would you like to just do that because all of my cards mm -hmm. were things actually that had like minimal use to me but would obviously not be like crazy good for you and if right. i just offer you the information freely you would take the roulette of well somebody else might have something better so i'll i'll, yeah. I'll go for that and i feel like that's some player's way to play against this magion terrorism is to just like let's just play face up then here's all my cards if you right. ever want one you can take it anyways so i might as well just like let you know what i constantly have and then you won't take stuff from me yeah, it also makes the Hakan uh, selling action cards thing a little bit weird because it's like you can always take them back. So in yeah. a way, that trading relationship has maybe been hurt by how much players play into this Magion Biostims, I Magion twice per yeah. round. And forget, if you're playing with a Necro in the game along with your Asarl, just forget about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. ridiculous uh, how insane that can get. Um, always remember too, this is like a little bit into the synthesis type stuff, but you know, like what Matt is saying, Magion is the type of thing you can, you can do deals around. I generally, whenever I do a support swap as Isarl, part of the deal will be like, and I won't Magi on you. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Uh, right. so you can always sell that in a very non-binding way that will probably get broken in the late game. So that's just <laughs> kind of how it yeah. goes. Uh, another one of their abilities that has kind of fallen out of favor, I would say, is their promissory note, SpyNet. Uh, people used to really theorycraft how you could 
basically as Asarl sell action cards because Spinet reads, at the start of your turn, look at the Asarl player's hand of action cards. Choose one of those cards and add it to your hand. Then return this card to the Asarl player. But now Asarl Magion's twice every single round, so anything you steal from Asarl goes straight back to Asarl, I guess, huh? (laughs) Yeah, um... Yeah, in in a slower in the slower base game days, people I didn't to be honest though I did not really like how this card was being used. Anyways, sure. the intention was not to allow Isarl to the ability to sell action cards because there's you know the Hakan has that ability. Yeah. Um. So I never liked that. So I don't mind that people don't use it anymore because I think thematically it was broken. Anyways, no one ever sold Spynet just for what it does, which is just being able to look at every Isarl card and then pick the one that you want at any yep. given time. Yep. Um. Maybe in a in a moment of desperation, I could see myself being like, "All right, I'll sell you Spynet," but I would only sell it at this point um, just for the for what it says on the card. I would not yeah. try to do that because no one should trust you if you're saying like, yeah. "Hey, I'm trying to sell you just this card." So this don't point, even look at my less, hand; just buy this one. Yeah, at this point, it's less even a thing you sell, and it's just a potential win slaying tactic, right? At this point, it's like, well, we have to get flank speed over to so and so so that they can deal with you know player x so i guess i'll just sure. give you spinet and you can get my flank speed and we'll get it over there like and and like you're not gonna Still get money me. for that which is dumb yeah. but like that that is kind of the, the factor i i don't really think asarl should be paid for that I, there's a lot of other instances where i think the wind slaying stuff like you should pay for it but i don't know asarl's got a lot of bag of tricks so i i wouldn't be just giving asarl free stuff to help wind slays they it always have to, a chance to win it is a good uh way to point out though that this is like this is maybe the only way that they contribute to wind slaying that much they're not yeah. really a very wind slay faction they're True. kind of like more about locking up their own win with a series of ridiculous cards you know yeah. that's yeah. that's kind of the game with them so i think it's it's good to call out those opportunities right uh their mech is the black shade infiltrator it's it has a deploy ability which is after you use stall tax uh, stall tactics you may place one mech on a planet you control so now it's completely this is completely changed stall tactics stall tactics isn't just burn an action card it's pay one action card for one mech yeah and luckily a lot of the action cards are worth less than one mech that you put on any planet you control like yeah. a significant portion of them are not better than this ability mm-hmm. so i would say <laughs> this is it's weird. Like, in a way, Isarl has become a mech faction because early game, they can expand and lock down planets, which is not... It used to be in base game, the Achilles heel of Isarl was that they were kind of light on plastic for the start compared to some of the other factions. Not all, but yeah. some. Now, the fact that they can kind of, you know, throw their mechs out onto the front line means that as Isarl, if you're... If things are going well, you can take equidistance and lock them down from your opponent and say, hey, that's, this is mine now because I got a mech right to it. So unless you are a faction that can, uh, you know, get the firepower there, you know, you're never going to be a threat in the air in the early game because right. you kind of just start with two carriers and a cruiser. It's just not that it's not that way with it. But yeah, yeah. the uh, the mech is I don't even know why they needed it, to be honest. It's quite it's quite good. Like, yeah. Very, very good, uh, 100% of the time. So I would recommend that you always keep in mind that you can do this uh, and that you should. The the math is super warped even because uh, y- the idea of doing tech round one now is like, well, I, I don't know what tech you're going to get that accomplishes anything for you round one. So if you don't do tech and spend $4, you can instead do the secondary of politics 
get two action cards and turn those two action cards into four dollars worth of mechs. Like you can gain yeah. money just by doing the secondary of politics instead of doing tech. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite good. I, the the game that Matt brought up earlier that we played together, I did not tech uh, round one precisely for that reason because it was just yeah. like, well, it's going to be hard for me to get that extra buck in the right timing because the person with tech wanted to play it soon. Right. So I was just like, well, I'll just I'll just grab some mechs. That's fine. That's yeah. great. Uh, next up, their agent is Sru. Clever, clever Sru. Uh, this this is the most complicated agent in the game. Hey, guess what? It's that this card has the text ability of each other player's agent, even if that agent is exhausted. Uh, yeah, this agent is quite a lot to talk about. This could be a whole episode, huh? Mm -hmm. Could just be talking about this agent and all of the different uh, use cases for it. Um, it's it's very very good. Uh, it's as good as every other agent at the table. Generally, there will be one or two standout agents that you're going to be using it on every time. Uh, I think I'm just going to kick the can of even talking about this agent down yeah. a little ways. We'll 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 get to a more. Let's just cover more of the components at this point. But just remember, you have an agent that does what all the other agents do. It's right. Great. Right. Uh, so Ata is your commander, um, and to unlock that, you need to have seven action cards and that has been clarified by dane to say like you have to complete an abilities whole process before an unlock takes place so the extra card that Isarl draws when they draw action cards does mm -hmm. not count as your seventh card so if you're at right. if you if you get to seven but you are about to need to discard down to six you have not unlocked this commander yet you need to properly have seven cards at the end of a card draw uh right. mechanic and then Soata grant, grants you this ability. After another player activates a system that contains your units, you may look at that player's action cards, promissory notes, or secret objectives. Yeah. Yeah, that, so that secret objective thing is pretty nuts, huh? Um, I feel like this is a, a huge reason for uh, players to not want to activate you in the late game because they might be costing themselves their own win if their secret objective is found out by the entire table. Yeah. Uh, I've been at a lot of tables where people got very mad because the Sorrow player was like, all right, here's what their secret objectives are and just told yeah. everybody, be very, you know, just know that if you're going to announce someone's secrets, you are going to get heat for that. Uh, from And maybe even from other players that aren't even affected by it. A lot of people, I feel like, have kind of a morality yeah. to this ability that is kind of hard to pin down. Um, but, I mean, it is, that's the point of the ability is that now um, you have found that out. This is another kind of consistent with the whole, like, you have kind of a House Atreides, like, I know everything. I have all of this knowledge right. thing um, that has been added in POK. I think that the action cards thing, like, now I feel like Asarl has so many overlapping abilities that it's like, I don't know why you would ever ask to see the action cards unless for some reason you already <laughs> right, knew you've all already the seen other all things. of them. <laughs> you've already seen them all at this point. We've got Meiji on twice around. Like, why yeah. do you need to be looking at the action cards again? Um, so it's almost always the secret objectives that you want to look at. Another thing that's worth noting is that strategically, your alliance is something that can be sold in order to give it to the right person in order to make the leader have to activate them, which is always a good thing to consider. Mm -hmm. um, that you're, you might want to save your alliance for the end of the game. We're talking about, this is like maybe their only other thing that has sort of a win slay flavor to it. If you're not going to win, maybe keep your alliance so that you can say, hey, they probably need Mechatol Rex. They're going to get it. And, and when they get it, 
they have to activate so-and-so, so I will go ahead and give my alliance to so-and-so free of charge just to just so that we find out what their secrets are and can maybe stop them. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of maybe your only other trick in that department. But very, very good commander. Um, like I said, I would be I would I would be more interested in with the alliance getting this into the right person's hands than I am interested in like selling it. I'm not really yeah. sure why yeah. I would sell it. Very few people need to buy it. And if you're really smart like me, you can just accidentally show Hunter your other secret objective anyways. You can yeah. just reveal it to him and then he never cares about using this command. Like you can now you can just activate him with impunity because he already knows your secret objective. I That's guess. true. Yeah, That's I, true. I, I pulled out the wrong secret objective in our game to score and he he's the only one who caught it. And uh, yeah, it was quite embarrassing. It was pretty funny. I'm glad you did that. Their hero is the Guild of Spies uh, and it is as an action. Each other player shows you one action card from their hand. For each player, you may either take that card or force that player to discard three random action cards from their hand, then purge this card. Hunter, I'm going to give your Guild of Spies rant 30 seconds. <laughs> oh, my God. You could go to town on this. Um, you should just always take the card and the player offering you just don't even offer a good card because why does it matter? They, they made you on twice. You already know all their cards. Uh, if they have something good, just made you on them. Uh, if they, so yeah, don't offer anything good on the other side of this. And if you're a Sarl, probably just take it unless for some reason you need to get rid of their action cards of which they probably have very few because you've been stealing so many of them. Now in the world where... You are not doing a Magion Biosims thing. This is probably pretty good. Yeah. But that's not the world that we live in. Right, right. My yeah, The uh, only other thing we could come up with is if this is their last win slay thing, which is like y'all are already about to win slay sure. somebody and you just need to make sure they don't have any action cards as defenses to like. Yeah, but you Matt, know, to get why wouldn't I just Magion them in that situation? Magion well, you may have already so Magion. Like this. it may be a late. I don't know. I, again, yeah, it, these are all, all stupid circumstances. But yeah, the, the action card for you is mechs and stalls. You, you can get you get five stalls off of this uh, hero rather than nothing. Make people lose right. a bunch of action cards. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. Like if I'll say this, if I'm playing a Sarl and I use this hero, I I'm not saying for sure I'm going to take your card no matter what it is. Like, I'm not saying that I'm not sure. trying to even hurt. I'm not trying to hurt myself strategically in this um, episode, but I feel like it getting five stalls off of this which is minimum what you get right like if somebody gives you a bad card well that's a stall yeah five stalls off this hero with the way i play a sorrel feels worth it now let's let's to play as the other players for a second i want to throw out this idea in kind of a theory crafty way if you're looking at the asarl player and they have like 15 cards in their hand uh i would probably offer them a good one i probably wouldn't offer them a bad one uh, because they they probably don't need any stalls. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's if they're playing kind of light on cards, just offer them whatever. They probably just want the stalls. Don't mm -hmm. offer them something good because that's just I don't know. I think that's silly to take the other way. In my I M H O. That's that's my rant. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. That's what we got. That's everything Asarl has in their in their docket. So how do we how do we synthesize all this, Hunter? Um. Well, so let's talk about the early game a little bit. Um, the stall tactics mech deploy thing is, uh, very, very good. And it makes us, I would say rather potent. Um, it also makes us, it's a little bit, makes us a little bit complicated because, you know, we would like to do the secondary of politics. We would like to do the secondary of tech. We would like to do the secondary of warfare. That's too many things except for, uh, is it actually, because we have a, we get an extra command token every 
in in round one off of our home system. But in that situation, we don't have a lot of money yeah. for plastic. But I don't know that we really care as much anymore right. about that. Right. Um, because of the easy mechs we get, we can at least lock down the ground uh, early on. So I feel like in a vacuum, I'm kind of down to recommend you take the extra token and do the secondary of politics um, just to get ahead on tokens. And because like two free mechs is like a pretty great start economically. Yeah. And if for some reason you can find a way to make a bunch of money and also follow tech, that's kind of an amazing start. You probably won't do all of those things. Right. Um, so if we're not doing tech round one, I would say I still think that tech skips are important for a sorrel. I think a green skip is important. I think a blue skip is important. Um, having both would be amazing. Uh, having even just one is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I say this mostly because Biostims has become such a popular tech. I think it's like the most popular first uh, tech to grab as a Sarl, meaning that whenever we get it, uh, if we don't have skips, we won't have anything to use it on, which is kind of a bummer. Don't right. really like that. Um, but at least in that first round when we grab it, um, which is for me probably going to be round two most of the time, but you know, round one sometimes if we have the right setup, um, then at least you get some uh, value off of it. Um, I feel like Biosims Mageon is very good, but I hate it. Like I, I don't like to play against it and it makes yeah. me feel queasy doing it myself. Um, I think it is so good to just basically say... The action cards are just an advantage I have, and no one else even really has any. Mm -hmm. um, and it causes the entire table to sort of be completely disconnected from the meaning or value of action cards whatsoever. If they draw a good one, they uh, they try and right away play it, um, which is right on their, you know, it's right for them to do that. Uh, essentially, it becomes this thing where, like, if somebody draws a good action card, they're just like, oh, no. That, yeah. Uh, <laughs> how soon until that ends up in Asarl's hands? Um, as far as playing action cards in general, Matt, I kind of want to have a bit of a discussion with you, um, because there was some pre errata that was making it sound like, oh, Isarl should save all the good action cards until the end of the game. What do you think about that? No, I disagree for sure. You, you get so many and you steal so many cards from everybody. Um, I, I don't think Isarl is so good that all they need is one big round five. You have to mm -hmm. stay relevant every single round. So to me, all the cards you get, you should look at how they can help you this round because you're going to get more cards later. Like you're always going to have enough cards to do the stalls you need to do. I think right. it's fairly rare that you just full on. Need the big thing is we're not leaning into transparent plating that often, which means right. the old thing with the Asaro stall was you stall everyone out so that nobody gets to do any kind of response at all to you. And now that's not really a thing. And also everybody else can stall a lot longer. So it's it's even more costly to have like the super mega stall. And we just don't, we don't, I don't think we ever need the super mega stall. So yeah. I think a minor stall every single round probably does more for your overall game. Right. I also really like the idea of uh, doing a, a mid game leadership stall. Yeah. And not just leaving that for the final round. Definitely. I think... Hurting, hurting the players uh, in that way is always going to knock their uh, tempo as much as possible so that maybe in the late game... Because uh, I will say this. We, we, we played a game recently, and I would say if Asarl has a flaw, 
it's that action cards do not always save you. Yeah. Um, if you don't have the exact one that you need for this, uh, you can still be easily windslayed. We're never really going to be the biggest, beefiest faction at the table. That's not how we win. That's not our style. Um, we don't have the right start for it. We don't have the right home system for it. Um, in fact, actually, I'll go ahead and say, I think maybe you have enough influence. Like, you start with some good influence. Yeah. I don't know how many influence planets you need past your home system. I think one flaw in my setup uh, in the game that we played. In the game that we played, I uh, came very close to winning, but then was slayed and Matt won instead. Uh, the slice that I was playing in was, I think, too influence heavy. I think mm -hmm. I needed more resources so I could get more plastic out there. So, in general... Keep an eye on that um, in your games. Like you, you need to make sure that you have the plastic to uh, last uh, yeah. in the end game. Right. Um, another thing I want to say, as far as the early game is concerned, is keep an eye on custodians. Uh, if you draw an early flank speed, or if you start with a blue skip, you could take it. You have five influence at home. Um, it's not the weirdest situation. You could even, I mean, we can Christmas land it right now and and figure out a way to get it to you on round one with warfare and a diplo pick uh, and a blue skip or a flank speed it's always blue skip or flank speed um and because of your your mech deployability in a situation when you take custodians or even just find a way to sneak onto mech at all because you're never taking it by force right you're just going to kind of like oh i got here <laughs> yeah uh you can maybe hang on to it if it's the right other factions of the game like if muad is at the table you're probably not going to keep it right but uh, if it is, you know, I don't know if it's a bunch of if it's like Nalu is your neighbor or whatever, that's uh, that's not going to be a problem. Um, so sneaking it and then using the mech deployability to hold on to Mechatol Rex and maybe get an extra guac out of it is uh, definitely a potential, yeah. uh, although it really depends on matchup a lot. Speaking of matchup, we should talk about the Asaral agent. Right. Um, the game me and Matt recently played, there was a Mahawk at the table which is disgusting, frankly. Um, the two of you can use your agents on each other as just yeah. an agent for agent trade. And there's and no downside to get, that. Like, they're, they're, yeah, well, okay, what's the downside, Matt? No, 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 I said there's no downside to that. Oh, there's like, no like, downside. The yeah. old downside of Mahawk's agent is the fact that, well, I'm unlocking somebody else's stuff. But now it's like, well, if mm -hmm. I unlock a Sorrel stuff, they'll just unlock my stuff. And we unlock both get our back. stuff unlocked. And it's easy. And it's a, per like, that game, there wasn't even a way for us to talk either of you into... <laughs> I know. lifting our tokens it was just right. on lock you guys were doing that right and we were not neighbors so it was a situation where Mahawk was basically using that ability to destroy my neighbor um, and I would say very much did destroy my neighbor to such an extent where I felt bad about it I was yeah. like wow that Mahawk really wrecked uh, <laughs> my buddy Axel uh, really wrecked <laughs> Axel and it was just like we couldn't be I, I, it's again it's almost like Biosims Magion it's like I I hate it's like so dirty yeah. that it makes me feel dirty, but also it's optimal. It's it's right. too good to pass up. It is not, in my opinion, win more to do either the Biostims Magion combo or right. to just go back and forth, Mahawked and you basically doing a bad version of uh well, a worse version, I should say, of the warfare primary every single round. Yeah. Um it's really yeah. It's really quite a lot. I posed the question in the pre-errata of whether or not um, Asarl is actually the worst terrorist at any table, like more so than Mentak. People complain about Mentak, and I posit that Asarl actually is worse. There, I got yeah. I got pushback on that, and I think a lot of people still do not like Mentak because of how much it disrupts trade. But I think the things I 
I think just Mageon isn't enough, but Mageon on top of that commander, on top of sometimes the potential agent combos, makes Isaril like the most yep. feel bad terroristic yep. threat on the table. Meanest faction in the game yeah. right now. Because, yeah, the Mentak pillage thing, its to me, it's lost its teeth. Everyone's richer. Everyone has more ways to make money. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, actually, the, and there's also more windows where people make money. So there's also more opportunities for pillage. So I could see a little bit yeah. of pushback there. But overall, I just think people are finding a lot more money out there in the world when they play uh, with Prophecy of Kings. And so I think, like, whatever. So Mentak's going to Mentax. Uh, Isaril is basically locking down a whole mechanic in the game and saying, this belongs to me and me alone. And you don't get to touch it. You don't get to do anything with it. And in fact, you should just throw your own stuff in the garbage as soon as you can, because I'm just so uh, good at this. It's honestly obnoxious. Yeah. And um, I think people, I I think people are out there that are trying to figure out a way to play nice Asarl in the same way that we had people that tried to play nice Mentak. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited for once that's figured out. I think um, maybe in the next arc of the show, when we get ourselves more experimental with these guides and talk more about different ways to play each faction, um, I would love to spend some time trying to develop a nice guy Isarl, yeah. which I think would involve probably not getting Meiji on, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, like, I, I just like don't even know it can be on the basically. table. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what What else? We've got one other agent we haven't talked about yet, which is um, the Emirates of Hakan and how yeah. weird that gets. And I, I recall some of my earliest Isarl games or early Hakan games with Isarl in it. It's a very difficult... <laughs> it's not as easy as Mahakt. Mahakt is like, hey, no. the two of us just do our thing back and forth. But uh, Hakan's agent is to either uh, replenish two of your own commodities or replenish someone else's commodities. So the synergy with Asarl being Hakan can replenish Asarl and then Asarl can replenish Hakan. But that's obviously not actually fair because Hakan has six commodities and Asarl has three. So I haven't figured out like where the math checks out on that and how people are doing Hakan Asarl stuff. Yeah, so, well, I'll give you a little taste of the math. So the way the math works out is this. It's it's a situation where what you are doing for, for Hakan is better than what Hakan can do for you. Yeah. We're talking about a situation where Asarl has trade leverage, technically is creating more value with their use of Hakan's agent than Hakan is making from their use of their own agent. Right. You're doing a better version of that because you are creating six commodities. Now, obviously, you're not going to just do it for free. And I don't I, I don't think that the answer here is as simple as Mahakt, I do you, you do me thing. Right. But it's kind of it's kind of weird because it's like Asarl is getting to make six commodities out of nowhere and it's with the trade faction. So like, yeah, they're probably going to just instantly get into a uh, float 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 each other's boats yeah uh yeah. situation which kind of was definitely a thing that existed in base game because of the whole ability to trade action cards right. um but i feel like the amount of money like i mean we've already talked about how in the early game one of the only things that holds you back is maybe you have a few things you want to pay for that you don't have money for yeah uh, not going to be an issue if a con is at the table not going to be an issue at all you're probably going to have money before your first action you're yeah. probably going to have money well, and hilariously, at the end of the day, Asarl doesn't have to use their agent on, on Hakan. So if Hakan's looking to go too crazy, there might be four commodity factions that are there, too. And you can just as easily make money off of any of them, too, if they're yeah. your neighbors or whatever. So at I, least you have I just options. Think it's, 
my my point is that I think Hakan would be nuts yeah. to not do some sort Work of with you. favorable trade with Isarl because right. there's a lot of Hakan the money. The two to of be you made. generate nine trade goods just by existing. And so yeah. figuring out what to do with those nine trade goods is up to you too, basically. I mean, even even if Hakan doesn't want to do you, yeah. that's fine. But you but your best target for that agent is Hakan. So yeah. how is Hakan going to Pay get you, you to do that? Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Cool. Well, and then so then there's like a million other agents, but like they're all just yeah. If it's good, do it. Uh, sounds sounds good to me. Uh, they're yeah. all good. <laughs> yeah. There was a uh, somebody called out. This this is good. Uh, the Jolnar agent. You you start with an extra infantry, so that can help pay for your tech. Right. We got three resources. We need one more. Yeah. So remember, you could always just do the Jolnar agent. Um, I would say there's I don't know. There's probably something. There's probably something better. Well, no, that actually is a really good round one agent. So yeah. Um, I definitely think and, you should and some factions have bad that. round one agents, right? I mean, if it's like if it's like Barony and L one and Jolnar at your table, it's like okay, cool, super obvious. I'm gonna get tech yeah. this time, kind of thing. Yeah, it depends. It always depends on who else is at the table. Yeah. Um, I would say overall, there's not there's like a couple star agents to me, and then there's like many that are just not going to be useful round one. But then always be on the lookout. Like yeah. what I always like to do when I play on TTS is copy all of the te the cards from the agents and i set them down and i shrink them down too so that i can just reference them whenever i need yeah. whenever i'm thinking about what am i gonna do you know yeah yeah the biggest trick to me early on was remembering that the agent exhausts itself for doing one total eight like it's not like you have five agents that you do all five no. of them you have to pick one of the things that you do per round and that i feel like that took me like two games before i really like oh this is not this it would be stupid if it were that way but, uh, right. Okay. Should we take a little break and then it's uh, time yeah. to talk about some eggs? Okay. Welcome back. Hey. All right. It's time. It's it's Embers of Muat time, and uh, this is the one where uh, Hunter, you've had a long storied history with Muat and the oh uh, yeah the constant battle of you having to do the guides, and this time around, I got to take them off your shoulders and i'll say this much the one thing i learned is i think i like embers more than you and i should have been doing them the whole time i, I kind of like it it's they're not good i don't think they're a great faction but I, mm -hmm. I don't mind the experience of playing as them um there's frustrations and we will get into those frustrations but uh, i am sorry for all of those many years making you play muat against your will yeah well you'll never be sorry enough um <laughs> muat's pretty cool i guess the, the i i think they've become a uh, an interesting faction. They've become better. Yeah, game, you, they you had to play boring. all the base game Muat, and that's when they really were just a, a big old problem. Um, and so mm -hmm. all of a lot of that stuff has gone away. Although I want to preface all of this with, I still don't think Muat are that good. And also the other thing to say uh, on top of all this as a pre-errata, if you want the deep dive into Muat, uh, user Rasmus has written the treatise on Muat, and you should go read it. And I will include a link to it in this episode so you can go read his stuff he, he's he goes way more in depth it's more akin to an old style strategy guide this is going to be our preliminary look these are going to be the basics of muat if you want to learn more go read rasmus's thoughts uh, i read yeah. rasmus's stuff a long time ago and then i reread it after my muat game uh that we had the other day and i feel especially on the generalities the generalizations of Muat, uh, we agree on a lot of the same things i think it's easy to agree on most of the things that muat has at the table so let's get into their stuff yeah, let's uh, let's start. Let's start at the start with the starting <laughs> units. Uh, so they start with uh, one war son. <sighs> Did you know that yet? 
Did yeah. you already know that? Do you know it's that the, now? It's the War Sun faction. Yeah. Uh, so they start with one War Sun, two fighters, four in- infantry, and that's it. Diddly squat. It. Yeah. Um, A single capacity unit, tech- and it's huge. Uh, and nothing, no trade ship, notably. No way, like, you, you got to find some way. We'll talk about the way you find it, but you have no way to go get adjacent to a trade neighbor, so you're already starting on just, like, so many problems round one to have to solve. Yeah, what's that starting tech? Starting tech is plasma scoring. Uh, that's it, just that one. Their disposition, grim. <laughs> it is grim, that's true. Uh, man, the, the plasma scoring thing is almost such a bummer to me because that it, you want a red tech, as embers and we want, it's very good that they start with a red tech. But plasma scoring is the most win mori of the ones you needed. Your main unit is a unit that bombards three dice on a three, and I you get to add one to it. Cool. Uh, I didn't specifically need that, but I guess I'll take it. I get more bombardment. But then the other half of that equation, the space cannon part, uh, we are maybe never going to touch. Uh, probably never going to touch. It's probably a waste of your time to ever mess with PDS and space cannon. Uh, so let's let's figure out the the flip side of it. Let's flip the faction sheet over and see see what we got. Okay, let's talk about abilities. First ability is Starforge. It is an action. Spend one token from your strategy pool to place either two fighters or one destroyer from your reinforcements in a system that contains one or more of your war sons. This is this is good in base game. This was like ah, it's all right. Um, it is kind of a worse version of orbital drop, which is soul's ability to put two ground forces kind of anywhere. And the advantage of that was always, well, you can uh, defend somewhere forward. This is just two fighters or a destroyer. And it's always going to be kind of a toss up of which one you want. But um, it's nice that like the destroyer can potentially be unlocked, but it's not like the destroyer can then have capacity to move any units. So you don't Mm -hmm. get like tangible strength out of that, except for all the ways POK has changed Starforge and added to it that we're going to get into. Yeah. So do we want to go ahead and talk about the mech? Because let's that do is the mech right off, off the of bat. Before, well, I'll say this other thing real quick. Gash life physiology. We can we can break down super, super fast, which is just you can move through supernovas, not into them mm-hmm. yet. But you can the supernovas for you are a thing where as long as you have a two movement unit, which, hey, guess what? You don't start with any. But if you get some, you can go through the supernovas. Uh, but yeah, what, what's what's our mech? Matt, you told me that in pre-production, you told me that you wanted to talk about the mech after Star Force. I did. And it feels and I, like you I, sort of forgot your I own pre-production you note. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Good job. The mech is called Ember Colossus. When you use your Starforge faction ability in this system or an adjacent system, you may place one infantry from your reinforcements with this unit. Besides that, just normal mech. Yeah. So if you have a mech there or adjacent, that's the huge part of this. And the, ve- the part that's very easy to forget is... All adjacent mechs to your war sons get an extra infantry tacked onto them. So, so far, and we're not done yet, we're going to get into the rest later, but so far when we Starforge, we can get uh, a dollar and a half worth of value, but we're spending a token for it, right? We get we get a dollar mm-hmm. and a half because we get either a destroyer or two fighters, which normally would cost us one, and we get an infantry, and all of those things can potentially be unlocked. So... That has some sort of value, but it's harder to equate. But let's keep track of that. A dollar and a half of value for one command counter. Yeah. Maybe and a stall. So we're, yeah. we're adding things up, but we're going to get more here in a bit. Uh, but yeah, let's let's finish things off. Yeah. So um, so when it comes to their start, they don't just start with the war sun. It's not a regular war sun. They actually have a faction specific war sun called prototype war sun one. It has a uh, cost of 12 uh, normal combat three on a three. 
Uh, it only has one movement and normal capacity uh, six. So it's important to note that their war sons are slow. Yeah, super slow, which makes everything very annoying for you. Uh, like we said, the, the moving through supernovas is useless until we get uh, this thing upgraded. Base game was the big question of whether it's even worth it to upgrade because war sun mm -hmm. tech is so far out of the way. But in POK days, we have a little tech called AI development algorithm. That means we get to skip stuff and it makes getting war suns faster. And it is sort of definitively made prototype war sun two in striking distance in almost yeah. any game. If we if we want to get it, we definitely can get it in time. Whereas that was not always the case in base game. We could not always get prototype war sun two in time. So yeah, uh, we've solved that part of the faction. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, the flagship is called the Inferno. Um, it costs eight, hits two on a five, one movement, three capacity. So kind of your standard ship. Uh, it has an ability though action spend one token from your strategy pool to place one cruiser in this unit's system i forget about that yeah already. all the time uh, yeah. i forget about it because i never build this flagship ever i don't build it uh, unless i have to unveil my flagship but hey uh i don't i don't want to do it i never want to do this this is so the biggest thing to me is Flagships are already targets on the board. I guess you could build your flagship so that somebody is less inclined to blow up one of your war sons if they want to destroy their greatest ship, right? That's like the only reason I do the Inferno is like, here's eight bucks to go somewhere else, kill my other unit. No, it's not useful. Uh, the the spending in action, uh, the big thing nowadays is uh, Starforge is specifically the ability that's impacted by our mechs. So if we're doing the Inferno's action ability, we're not getting any infantry off of it, mm -hmm. which means that token is not worth 1.5. It's just worth uh two bucks right the cruiser is worth two but it's not it's just i don't i don't like it as much um and especially because i had to build an eight dollar ship and i'm already got enough problems trying to build my second twelve dollar ship so we'll figure that out later right um one thing that uh we sort of skipped over that that uh, i probably should have read out to you is the home system planet we are a single planet home system the planet is called muat and it is a four resource resources one influence planet so yeah. kind of old school simple straight up there's yeah. your four bucks we can technically afford uh tech round one although we're going to talk about why we almost never tech round one anymore with their uh agent here in a minute yeah yep 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 it's so true um let's talk about the faction tech so our first one that we should just go ahead and cover because it's the essential one the other one's just kind of whatever um the upgrade to prototype war sun one which is if you can believe it Prototype War Sun 2, huh? Sounds like an upgrade, huh? Um, it's uh, It costs less. That's a funny thing about it. You upgrade yeah. it, and now it only costs 10, which is thankful because they're, they're pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, everything else stays the same, except for now they have a movement of not one, not two, but three movement. Yeah. Whoa, um, that this, can go places. This was always the thing of... Uh, again, in base game, it was like, oh, actually, is blue Muat better? Because I could just get gravity drive and at least get a two movement um, war sun. But uh, when you can get that three movement war sun, it can be a huge deal. Um, mm -hmm. And we have some other tools these days to put those war suns into positions that uh, are going to take advantage of that three movement. We're going to talk about their hero. We're going to talk about a few things. The fact that we can get inside supernovas, we can go camp out in a bunch of different little areas and then strike out with this three movement war sun. So the three movement is actually clutch, especially uh, we really like this unit in general. We like it making our stuff cheaper. We like the three movement. And in getting it, we have 
no time for other tech, which means we're not getting any other movement tech, which means this is our only unit with capacity that will have more than one movement the entire time we play, which makes it the cornerstone of any meaningful thing we do at the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the other faction tech. So it is called Magmus Reactor. Uh, it is an Omega tech. We're not even going to read the original. It's yep. dead to us forever. Um, the new version of Magmus Reactor reads as follows. Your ships can move into supernovas. You got to remember, you actually can't do that. I've seen people be like, I'm going to move my ship into this supernova. And it's like, well, you don't have Magmus Reactor. Right. And they're like, oh, I thought, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, you're right. That's not quite the you, ability. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then this is a, a great follow-up part of the ability. Each supernova that contains one or more of your units gains the production five ability as if it were one of your units matt how did that work that's how did that work it's hard to understand physically but it's because it's not any of the units that are doing production but yes you can have a destroyer in a supernova and you can activate that supernova and you can build five units you can build your war sun and a bunch more stuff out of it uh and it's it's wicked wicked super good um actually even though the tech is something we wouldn't mind skipping sometimes. But if you get mm-hmm. it, it's great. And there are many, many ways to lean into it as part of your strategy if the supernova is where you want it to be. Uh-huh. But but anything can do it, too. Like, if I send a destroyer in there, it can just make stuff. Yep. I guess it's not making this stuff, huh? No. Is what's happening. <laughs> You're saying, so the supernova just poops stuff out? What yeah, is this? The super, it's, it's that actually you're backing up time and things that were swallowed up by the supernova you're ripping back out through if you you hire the services of the nomad and you pull units through time to where they are no longer destroyed by the gravitational pull of the supernova <coughs> <coughs> he's dying or <coughs> stupid <coughs> <coughs> uh let's talk about the faction promissory note uh it's called fires of the gash lie it is an action. Remove one token from the Muat player's fleet pool. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. And return it to their reinforcements. Then gain your War Sun unit upgrade technology card. Then return this card to the Muat player. Oh, boy. How convenient. We only have one ship we need anyways. We can lose fleet pool at any time, no matter what. Um, just kidding. We love command counters. We love them in all places. And it does definitely hurt to lose a fleet fleet pool. It is certainly, this tech is good. Um, Almost nobody can afford it because you shouldn't, you realistically, I wouldn't sell it for anything less than something that gets me a point. Uh, The other things I've seen people say is it's it's effectively worth three trade goods because it saves them a command counter and four resources for tech because they can just get war suns and it's also a unit upgrade which can be a point for them sometimes uh it's it's sometimes it's a unit upgrade they'll never use i don't know it's it's the weirdest thing but it it should cost a lot disagree hardcore completely disagree uh you should sell it like like can't i mean you shouldn't sell it for nothing okay because you're gonna lose a command token so you got to make sure that we have that cost covered right yeah uh but i do i am not near nearly as precious about this as i used to because you know what war sons suck like most factions can't make good use of war sons anyways well that's the big argument is i i think i think it is actually more properly something worth like four dollars right um my big thing with it is because it carries the weight of um unit upgrade it, it, it is a potential unit upgrade most people literally will not buy it from you 
unless they need a stall. Like basically, it's right. just like a, oh, it's like a random stall that costs Moo out a command counter. So that sucks. That's the part that actually makes it hard to deal. It it's not worth less than three dollars ever, ever, never, ever. You're losing a command counter for it. I would not sell it for that few of an, an amount. And so then to get anybody else on board, they have to want War Sons technology for something, which means usually it's for unit upgrades for the point. Which to me means it's worth the point. I'm giving you a point. You should get me something equivalent of a point in return. I think that there's a sucker more in every minute. And there's a definitely somebody at your table that thinks they can make War Sons work. And you know what? I can't blame them, actually. It's, <laughs> it's an attractive thought. Every time it comes up, it's an attractive thought. I'm going to make War Sons work. But I feel like almost nobody has the juice to do it i mean yeah. hakan obviously does empyrean obviously does i think there's a handful maybe jolnar maybe joel I mean, yeah yeah jolnar does it's hard to tell it's jolnar right because they're just saying like well i could probably just get it anyways I don't, they could I don't but they you. can't they can't use their skips for war sun so it's actually a decent ways out of their way to go and research war sun eh, pick own. up ai and an early it's... war sun for them is the best use of, or the best like counter to their minus one ability, right? A war sun right. is three hits on a four. That's a, that's as good as they're ever going to do. It's the inverse of the Sardak effect, right? Is like, I need as few units dealing as large of dice numbers as possible to be able to negate my my bad combat or whatever. Let me propose a trade and I want to see what you think. So you're playing as Muat. Uh, I'm playing as Jolnar. Uh, fires early game. For research agreement, and you get a, a blue tech that you buy. I any blue tried tech. to make exactly that deal <laughs> to the Jolnar player in our in 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 a game uh, recently, and, and they said uh, no. And they said no, which I they they had already promised research agreement to somebody else. Sometimes oh, well, the timing different. just sucks, man. Sometimes yeah. like uh, that's what I'm saying though is at the end of the day, this is almost never something somebody needs, right? They almost mm -hmm. never need War Sun tech. And because it has at least a de facto cost to you, you have to make up that cost, and that's what makes this so hard to buy. We've okay. spent way too long talking about Fires of the Gaslight. I want no, to pedal it. I want it's a to podcast, pedal it, Matt. Did you know it's a <laughs> podcast? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's not a presentation. Okay, <laughs> we're supposed to have discussion here. Um, um, I I just think it's it's not that I don't want to sell it. It's that it's very very difficult to now there and sometimes there are rounds you definitely don't want to sell it. Right? Sometimes the fleet supply thing is a genuine inhibitor to your ability to get this thing out there. Uh, oh, if, for sure. If whatever's sure. going on, if the right objective is out, or just you've already gone too low in fleet supply, this becomes unsellable. Or you don't have enough influence, like, right. which is I think a horrible situation to be in as yeah. Muad. But Muad also needs a lot of resources, which is crummy. Yeah. Um, let's talk about agent. Okay. The agent is called. The agent is called Mbot. 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 We love Mbot. Okay. Uh, this you is sure this is my favorite thing that they were given uh, in their kit. Um, so uh, he is Mbot is a forge master. Just so you know. Although when you look at him, you kind of see that this guy looks like a forge master to me. He looks like um, a forge. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a forge. So of course he's a forge master. That would be like me walking around being like, I am a human body master. Yeah. Which actually. <laughs> is something i should say um anyways action exhaust this card to choose a player that player may produce up to two units that each have a cost of four or less in a system that contains one of their war sons or their flagship yeah so uh it says choose a player you will always choose yourself, even if Probably. you don't want to choose yourself. The other player has to have a war sun or a flagship, which doesn't happen yep. for a while. Uh, so, yep. like, Umbat is yours. Umbat's just your thing, and that's fine. Oh, it's but not Matt, you could sell it to nope. the Nomad player round one. I don't care. 
You you could and you could ruin your round one. That sounds like a great way to make Nomad win for sure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so why so, do we need this round one, Matt? Yeah, we started with one War Sun with one movement. Uh, we uh, have $4, and the big threat is always that we might get Warfare stalled because we don't have, we have no way to just not get Warfare. So we have one unit and a strategy card. So if, uh, if Warfare is anything worse than like second action, we're out. We're not getting an, another carrier to go take more stuff. But we don't need it. We have four resources. We can just say, I don't need tech round one, or I can like maybe find a way to luck into tech round one later, but I do not need tech round one. And the new thing is, Umbat is your absolute first action to produce at least a carrier, and that carrier then can be partnered with generally a destroyer. Now, sometimes you can look at the round. If you have trade or something, your first action mm -hmm. can actually be trade. It would be great to get more money to do uh, more umbatting. Um, the actual favorite thing, I think most people agree, is a uh, carrier and a mech. So if you can find $1, if you can get a buck before you do umbat, a carrier and a mech is great. But yeah. I'm not going to be upset about the destroyer because the destroyer is my trade ship that I might also need. So if I if I just need to do the carrier and the destroyer and then I go make money elsewhere to maybe get tech or something, all of that's going to be fine. But this is the only way, this is the reliable way we get two systems round one. Yeah. Well, I will say I, I do think in most situations you're going to find that uh, you're going to find that buck because we failed to mention uh, you're four commodity faction, yeah. so you're technically rich. Although we don't start with a trade ship, which is obnoxious. Yeah, that's the big that's the big problem with it, and the reason why it's so hard to use this agent. Honestly, round one, people just talk about uh, Umbat being great, but it is a tricky agent to use round one because there's always a balance of can I get more money or not when I you cannot move your war sun out before you Umbat because you place it with your war sun. If you send your war sun out. Then you umbat, the carrier you built is locked down and it's not taking another system, right? Unless we'll talk mm -hmm. about warfare later. Um, but uh, the you have to umbat first, which means the only other thing you could do first, because you don't even have a trade ship, is pop your strategy card. So if you have some other random strategy card, that's your best bet to like waiting for trade to pop. But the problem is like trade has to send a ship towards you just to trade mm -hmm. with you. It's it's too many things that have to happen. So you are all like you are almost always just better off saying I can't make I I don't I'm not a strong enough faction to like hope against hope that all these amazing things happen when I can just do the reliable thing and get a carrier and a destroyer. I start with four infantry, so that's not a problem. I'm going to be able to take enough systems. It'll be okay. Yeah, what about um, if you, if you? I will say this, if you start with, if you have leadership, yeah. uh, Starforge into destroyer into, that's your trade ship, or is that too, is that too pricey? That's almost a lot, right? I think it's kind of pricey, too... and, and if the whole point is trying to stall Umbat so that I can get a mech, any Starforges before I have that mech online are kind of Suck, a waste yeah. of the potential right. of that mech. So that's a good point. I don't prefer it. Yeah. Okay, well, do you want to what, talk about Hunter, Hunter, what you just got into what? is is what we're going to talk a lot about, which is players uh, sitting and getting lost in the weeds of the weird optimizations of MUAT, because MUAT oh, yeah. is all about small number gains through all, all throughout. So you, you are faced with these little debates internally all game long. Should I do this now? Or, well, technically it gets me a dollar. Right. It gets me one dollar if I do it three yeah. actions from now. That's right. what you're going to do all day long as MUAT. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, um, <laughs> let's talk about the commander, yeah. uh, which has an obnoxious unlock, if I do so, say so myself. The unlock is produce a war sun. So that's 
expensive, yeah. uh, just so you know. Uh, and then the ability, uh, the, the commander's called Magmus, so we finally found, this is who Magmus is. We've been yeah, talking about Magmus Reactor is. for so long, and now finally we got the guy. <laughs> He's pretty cool. Um, after you spend a token from your strategy pool, you may gain one trade good. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, it's pretty right. good. Hey, uh, clear synergy with Starforge. We spend a token from strategy pool to Starforge. So what's the math now? Now we gain a dollar. Once we unlock this, we get an extra dollar on top of the dollar and a half we already were netting from Starforge. So now Starforge is one command counter for two and a half dollars of raw value plus mm -hmm. whatever you attribute to the stall and the unit being maybe unlocked, probably unlocked. Uh, so now... Starforge is actually kind of a net gain ability in terms of uh, economic power. However, it comes at this ridiculously difficult cost of when and how you have to unlock it. Let's compare for a second to mm -hmm. Hakan's unlock. Hakan's commander unlocks if you have 10 trade goods. And Hakan makes trade goods hands over fist round. Right. You, you have six right. commodities. You're going to get trade good, 10 trade goods without even thinking about it. Muwats is have two more trade goods than that and spend every single one of them on a unit you may not want yet. Right. Do we want to go ahead and talk about building? Because there's two, you have two war suns. There are two yeah. war suns that each, you, you can have up to two. So this is essentially produce the other one. Or yep. if it died for some reason, Get rebuild it, it which right. you're, you're in trouble, bud. Um, if, yours, if yours died. Um, so like what... Is that good to do? Should you always get two war suns? Like, I feel like people always get two war suns. Is there always a point you, to that? You can get hung up on, oh, I can make a dollar every time I spend a strategy. You can make your money back, right? Through Magmus. But the, the problem mm -hmm. the problem with building the war sun is never just like, nah, I don't really want to spend $12 on a war sun. It's, it's very difficult to get 12 total dollars in a single moment for a single production. Yeah. That is right. hard to do. Um, so we always kind of like, I see people wave their hands of this thing and it's like, no, I, like the game we had the other day, I picked an intentionally influenced rich slice because I'm like, hey, I want to start forwards like crazy. I want to do all this stuff. But the path to ending up with $12 was so difficult. <laughs> I didn't mm -hmm. get it. I don't think I got it until round three. And that's probably pretty standard. Round three or four is when most people are going to get that second war sun out. It right. is going to take a lot of wild negotiating to get your second war sun out on round two. That that seems pretty unbelievable to me, unless your slice was like an all-resource slice, in which case, cool, you have all the resources. Now you're going to suffer a command counter deficiency all game long. I will always take an influence-rich slice over... I want to get my second war sun out as fast as possible. This is why I like playing kind of fast, like compared to the things you were saying about the promissory note, Fires of the Gashlai, I am more fast and loose with it because it's costing you a command count counter from your fleet supply, which you started with three in, and we don't, don't really need, need for like a long time, yep. I would say. But I mean, we would much rather take them out, right? We would take them out, put them in our strategy, our tactics, whatever. But if you... Even if you're just merely turning that into trade goods, those are trade goods that you're going to add to your little stack that's going to help you get yeah. all that money you need by round three. Right. I mean, it's just like, it's so pricey playing this faction. It's expensive. Sure. It's like inflation right, right. now. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just like, ugh. That's where I think ugh. Fires of the Gashlight can at least be worth $3. And that's where like, hey, this is the worst game of my life and literally nothing else is going okay for me. But those $3 means I get the War Sun out and I get the Commander unlocked and that might help get my game 
back into some position but i wouldn't just do it like i would i would try to find some other way to make that money if it was possible now all that being said it is hard to trade as muat to be honest with you if you don't we're gonna actually i want to save i want to save that note but like money is hard to come by as muat even though we're a four commodity faction um they're they're kind of an annoying faction to to be trading as let's let's round things off though let's finish things off with their hero I got one last note about the commander sure. before we move on because yeah. this is just the thing it's just the thing to bring up yeah uh whenever you spend or lead from the front the public sure. objective or galvanize the people y- you are you are spending yeah now they have to come from your strategy it doesn't work for tactics only from your strategy do you get uh a trade good but always remember uh whenever you score a lead from the front you should always score it most people score it by putting things in strategy anyways because yep. of uh what is it called insubordination insubordination um so yeah this isn't really that big of a note but it's just like yeah you yep. should always remember that you will get three trade goods whenever you spend on, for that objective on the flip side of that there's the relic that lets you um spend from reinforcements instead of from your strategy pool and that negates this i had this relic uh-huh. in our game and uh it doesn't work with magmus so kind of awkward but it's still Stinky. it's still it's still that's a great relic to have so i don't i don't care <laughs> yeah um okay so let's talk about the hero this is fun okay the hero is called nova seed uh, and the little the little subtext says gravitational collapse, which okay. Um, <laughs> here it is, and this is the hero. Okay, this is a, sit down. Okay, sit down. Open your ears up for this one. After you move a war sun into a non home system other than Mechatol Rex, there's a lot of we're clarifying a little, uh, quite a few things there. You may destroy all other players units in that system and replace that system tile with the muat supernova tile there was an extra supernova tile we forgot to tell you about there's an extra supernova tile that you get (laughs) just you it's your fun one you can use it as a coaster until you need it uh no actually don't do that you will ruin it and matt will get mad if you do that purge this card and each planet card that corresponds to the replaced systems tile you blown the dang system up it's blown up jerry it's gone jerry the whole thing's gone and as a little bonus your war sun is now in a spot that nobody else gets to target because nobody else can come inside of supernovas um except for one action card that you should be careful of (laughs) and there's no planets in there either which is the coolest way to score uh above empty planets yeah that one that one's fun (laughs) just oh i don't have enough empty space well make one i literally had the dream scenario for nova Nova seed in our game where i used it to a destroy someone's flagship while i had destroy their greatest ship as a secret that counts doesn't have to be in battle just got to blow it up this thing blows it up and then my supernova was parked there where at the end of the round i got to score three empties like it was the perfect nova seed yummy most nova seeds are not that directly positive uh for your point gain uh usually it's everyone at the table wants you to use nova seed for their thing no you have to you got to stop this person don't don't listen to them it's your nova seed and you use it how you want to and if you listen to rasmus's advice maybe just don't use it sometimes you're just not going to use nova seed and that's fine. yeah yeah <laughs> this is very specific although i will say i gotta throw this out there because it's just like something i remember well okay so a couple notes um if you like muat and you you want to see some good muat play mm-hmm. that we got on the old youtube sorry rasmus i don't i don't remember i'm sure we have some good rasmus Muat play, but what I'm thinking about right now is game six of the semifinals. Yep. yep. Um, Celia is playing, or sorry, uh, I should say Vision S is yeah. playing. 
uh, as Muat. Excellent opening. Everything goes fantastic. However, yeah. uh, it, it is really, really worth watching. And, and it was obviously very well planned out. And like, yeah, it's just like, oh, it's, it's like the perfect Muat game crystallized. However, uh, uh, spoilers, it does not end with Vision S winning, uh, which you would already know if you've seen the finals. Uh, and the kind of critical moment is the decision to not use Nova Seed. Yeah. So, like, I also want to say, like, Nova Seed in some very specific ways might be sometimes the only way to win slay someone. Yeah. Um, it was like a situation where the choice was made to not Nova Seed, but had Nova Seed been taken right. and used against uh, the Argent player to destroy uh, some of his structures, that would have been game. Right. But right. it did not happen. That's but okay, it also it was impossible to know. Right. Like, what? There's no way to what? know that. The bigger thing, too, is if we ended up getting Magmus Reactor, the tech. This is now a supernova that at the end of this activation, we can build here. So we can send our supernova into this system and yep. build new stuff out of it if we have Magmus Reactor, uh, which is cool. not a bad thing to have happen for you. Uh, of note, uh, this is after movement, so there's not going to be any combat. There will, however, after you've blown everything up, uh, PDS-2s can fire at you. So don't just mm -hmm. send a war sun like across the board to Nova Seed. Sometimes it does need like the backing fleet still you need you still yeah. need fighters or destroyers or whatever to go with it because you may have to withstand pds fire that happens uh, i would say decently often enough actually um you see nova seed used um for positional plays those are some of my favorites a uh, humble checkmate uh used uh, a great nova mm -hmm. seed position play to to win the their semifinal game uh or in the finals they didn't win that was in the had, finals it yeah. was in the finals but it was still amazing like they put it in such a spot where it's like they had access to just like everything they could ever dream for yeah. um it, it's a great spot to be and the biggest thing is again what we've always talked about with muat is your war sons are actually liabilities um they're great things but you don't get to just like do whatever you want with them they're not so unstoppable that you can kill they they they, they deal a lot of damage but they don't have hit points to make up for it. they just have sustained damage and you don't right. really want to use that sustained damage because there's always a risk of direct hit so you need fighters you need destroyers you need fleets and uh you can't just go risking your war sons everywhere and nowadays the biggest thing is our war sons can produce units as long as they're not locked yet. So the best advice, and you get this from Rasmus's guide, but uh, I would certainly have echoed it anyways, is the last thing you want to do every single round is move your war sun. Moving yeah. your war suns are not a it's not a good thing to do. You want to get as much stuff out of those war suns first. You want to umbat, get a carrier, send that carrier out somewhere else, do another thing, play your strategy card, and then move your war sun somewhere for sure um the the biggest threat to that too is the idea that the second your war sun moves everyone knows the war sun's over there and not where all your other stuff is or yep. it's not moving from there which means i can attack it if i have enough stuff i can definitely win that fight or whatever the scariest thing about a war sun is its potential not the actual force in battle that it provides it's that that, that war sun could go anywhere and do anything that's what the threat of the war sun looks like to other players at the table. Yeah, yeah. That I think a, a really good uh, Muat round one looks like uh, the the units just not moving uh, until all everyone else is already like yeah. set up and stuff, and then Muat <laughs> is like, "All right, I will begin leaving the home system." Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah. now it's safe for me to take all of my normal expansion actions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's talk about round one. So. Beyond the like, oh, all these problems we have to fix, we talked about Umbat and how we can fix those. We want a carrier, we want, we want a uh, probably a destroyer. 
we do actually, contrary to all the problems Warfare suffers these days and actually not being a very popular pick, Muad is like top two or three factions that oh, actually yeah. like Warfare. It's like Sar, Winu, and Muad are the three factions that love a good Warfare. Because the thing about uh, Warfare for Muad is we already talked about now we can move our Warsun out, then do Umbat, and then our carrier and everything else and the war sun get to move into equidistance or adjacent to Mechatol Rex or whatever. We get to like have significantly better expansion round one. Now, this will leave your home system quite empty. Um, but guess what? Your home system was going to be empty no matter what. You cannot survive round one. You, you can't do the things you need to do round one without an empty home system. That, that is just part of playing Muat. And one of your big plans round two needs to be getting stuff into your home system so that your home system is is maybe okay or doing the right support swaps or something. You're going to have to find a way to protect your home system because your war sun's over there, not in the home system. And that's where you want yeah. it, but it's not particularly helpful. Um, the other stuff uh, with round one is it's good to do this warfare hop because that's what puts you adjacent to potentially Mechatol Rex going into round two. We're not a custodians faction, generally speaking. You have to get very lucky to get into a position where you do custodians. But we have the ship that will, for anyone's starting fleet that gets anyone's custodian fleet, besides maybe Sar, like a crazy Sar who goes ham on it, anybody else we can stop their starting uh, their Mechatol fleet. We we can get in there and take Mechatol and maybe mm -hmm. hold Mechatol all game long. We love Mechatol Rex so much. So yep. uh, if you can get Warfare, it is the way you set up that strategy. So that, that's a big, big deal round one. Any other round one is just like unbat, move your stuff out, do the thing. Try to get in on trade deals if you can. Um, I will say round one included, any round you can take trade is good because you're actually great at trade. You have four commodities. You have this Fires of the Gashlight. But the thing is, the person with the trade strategy card always has the leverage on trade. And mm -hmm. without the trade strategy card, basically all I can generally get is three trade goods. I can get an X minus one as Muat, and I can't really ever get anybody else to do anything else with me as Muat. That that seems to be my flaw, maybe as a Muat player. I try to pedal fires the Gashlight, it doesn't work. But when you have trade, everyone has to and wants to talk to you. And that's when you can make money, and that's when you can actually turn Fires of the Gashlight into a thing. You can talk to people through all the stuff. You can make significantly more money. I would say taking trade round two is how you get that war sun out, basically. Like, you you need that. That might be the big thing is if there's not something, if you're not taking Imperial or whatever, trade round two is, is probably the better path to getting um, the second war sun out. Um, Rasmus has a great breakdown on why getting the second war sun is, is sort of technically better than um sprinting for prototype war sun 2 the th the prevailing theory being uh prototype war sun 2 makes it cost ten dollars instead of 12 so don't you want to save two dollars but it doesn't <laughs> the math doesn't actually check out because you're going to in having the second war sun you will have a strategy token earn you a dollar so it's really only a single dollar savings to have already gotten the right. tech right which is not enough for how much you generally have to put it off that being said you don't always, you're not always sitting on $12. I In my game, I was not sitting on $12, but I had $4 and I had AI dev. So guess what? I can, and I had a red skip. I can go ahead and get the tech right now. And I went ahead and did it. But I do think it is generally speak uh, better to get uh, the second war sun if you're picking an order. If that's even a question you have in your game, go ahead and don't, don't stall uh, getting prototype war sun 2 or whatever. Like just, or I mean, don't rush it. I don't know what I'm trying to say anymore. My brain exploded. But 
it doesn't matter. Just just go ahead and get the War Sun, and then you can get Prototype War Sun two later. You don't. There's no rush on Prototype War Sun two, except for the one thing that will always annoy you all game long is how much your movement sucks. <laughs> it just uh, when if you're not a blue tech faction, it means most of your units don't have very much movement. Uh, and our units that have movement, we have two of them, and one of them we would really like to keep in our home system to protect it. And the other one, we'd really like to keep on Mechatol Rex to protect it, which means everything else we're doing on the table is with one movement carriers or one movement dreadnoughts, maybe, but we probably aren't even building that many dreadnoughts, which means uh, it's, it is a very tough game to succeed with, which is why you really have to focus on Umbat solving your production problems. You don't want to build anything at home, maybe ever, because if you build at home, it's never going to get into the field. You would rather build carriers out of Umbat, out of your forward war sun, instead of ever producing a forward space dock, that's your solve for your movement problems. How do you feel about custodians, Matt? Like, is that ever an option for Muat, or are they just kind of blocked out of it because of the bad start? You start with no influence, and all of your money, like, goes towards other things. I, I don't... I. Again, like I said, I think you let somebody else take custodians, and then you park on Mechatolrex right after them. If it falls into your lap, cool, but... Uh, you had to have like basically gained Aaron Amir on the path to Mechatol for it to work out, right? Like you need six clean influence to get the custodian's token. So it's like you, you literally need a perfect magic Christmas land of things to go right for you to actually be able to accomplish the custodian's token. But taking Mechatol Rex, that's a whole other thing. Definitely go for that, please. Yes. Uh, so I have a follow-up question because my issue with not only just Muat, but factions where we say things like, Take Mechatol Rex and and mm -hmm. and get Guac that way is if if you're not a custodians faction and the idea is that you're gonna get some guac off off of Mechatol Rex and we're not just like kind of saving it for the end of the game to get like our last point or one yeah. of our last points. What do we do about the whole secret objective not getting those things? Yeah. Because I think that I, I don't love the like round two or three playing of imperial i like parking mm -hmm. on mechatol and establishing such a good enough stronghold there that nobody's ever going to take it and like you're using the war sun on mechatol to produce more units on, like dropping mechs onto mechatol and you're defending mechatol all game until it's a part of the swing round where it matters we get our guac the round we win or whatever round four or five mm -hmm. that's my preferred imperial get i would not want to i don't i don't per, i don't like the imperial round two thing i think that's greedy i think i would still take mechatol round two if it was presented to me but i would not necessarily partner that with an imperial grab because i 100 percent agree with you that the secret objectives are more important because that's part of your path to 10 right they're also the the secret objectives i feel like always become an issue uh with the kind of play style where you're like, oh, I'll just like rack up some extra custodian points with Muat because I feel like they are not, it's not a given that they're going to be able to do every public objective. There's like, there's the easy one, right? They'll like have a war sun. Yeah. Or is it, is it flagship or war, war sun or is it just flagship? It's flagship or war sun. It's both. Okay. So yeah, there, there's the flagship or war sun ones. Um, and then it's weird, like, I would say that Muat is, uh, Muat has a lot of reasons for us to say that they're an economy faction, but, like, freaking expensive to play as them, so, yeah, like, that's right. not great. It I wouldn't actually say they come out ahead in, right. on, in any way. Uh, they have all these, like, little generate trade good stuff. They're four commodity faction, but it's just expensive to play as them. You start yeah. in the hole, basically. Yeah. You start 
Every game of Muat, you start, and it's like, ah, oh, I owe a lot of money. Got to pay off. Got a lot of student debt yeah. is what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, the, your first Muat. war son is all of the debt you accrue. Like, if you if you were to take every single uh, faction's starting units and add up their total value, right? Like, oh, and the, the Dreadnought's four, and the Carrier's three. Like, Muat is way ahead, right? But consider all of that value gained as debt you have to make up for over two or three rounds. Like you literally mm -hmm. have to get your to, to get yourself even. It's not that you're ahead. You have to make up that money. You have you have to pay for that war sun in the aftermath of having started with it. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about tech. What are there any alternative tech paths like is, is blue Ot still a thing going blue muat is... i don't like i i do think blue Ot is dead i'm i'm with people that say blue Ot is dead because i think um the big the big thing is our war sons are now our production centers so having two of them is actually quite useful dropping mechs mm -hmm. home dropping mechs and planet into okay. systems adjacent yeah, yeah. to home uh getting destroyers out to be unlocked like those are having two war sons out is actually a decently big deal for like our strategic possibility in the game. If we have one war sun, everything we do is so telegraphed to everyone at the table because any it's all based around that single unit, right? Like there's no way everyone can look at us and be like, well, there's going to be a couple units that come out of that war sun and then we'll just see where they go. And the war sun's probably not going to move this round or maybe like, and you don't want to move your war sun too far away from home because now it's a liability across the table. Um, so I, I really do think the second war sun is quite important to get out for a multitude of reasons and that's what makes it where like leaning into making those war sons better and the three movement is what gives you your opportunities in the late game it's it's not as many opportunities as i would like but it's two very very big opportunities does mm -hmm. that make sense as as the the cost benefit analysis going blue out might mean you get four mediocre opportunities in the final round Going prototype war sun two means you get two big plays and and maybe right. in some games those plays are not going to present themselves and you'll just be dead in the water and that's the risk of playing muat in general but bluewat doesn't make doesn't save those risks basically at all but prototype war sun two can turn those risks into success yeah so so overall you would say that you you're kind of in the debate on whether it's worth getting the second war sun you are kind of saying like it's worth it because I, I think don't it's worth it i think myself. the tech path i think the tech tech path is one of the rare tech paths that shakes out to be okay first off uh i want to build a ton of units i need to protect my war sons with units which means i'm trying to buy as little tech as possible so the big thing is mm -hmm. i start with a red tech how can i get the things i need with as few tech as possible and if you're telling me i got to get two blue techs and carrier two and then like a yellow skip and dreadnought too to be able to accomplish any of the things I want. Like that's way too much. Whereas I can get AI dev, Magmus Reactor, Prototype War Sun 2, done. Maybe yeah. get a Destroyer 2 along the way to improve my ability to like really chew through my opponent's uh, fighter screens and stuff like that. Yeah. The, biggest, the biggest reason you get uh, Destroyer 2 is just because your own fighters are not are under threat like if you're if you have an argent neighbor really the only answer you have is like well i just won't build fighters and i'll i guess i'll do starforge on destroyers instead and i better make those destroyers <laughs> as good as i can so right. uh that, that's really your only answer but yeah i i think it's just the cheapest way to enhance your abilities is to go very very light on tech um i ended up 
having the, the biggest problem has always been that red techs are expensive. Um, if you can get a hold of Aang, Aang is a $2 uh, tech skip, red tech skip. And that's about, that's like a, a great opportunity to have on your table is like, well, that's a red skip you can use. Yellow skips are even better. Um, because the, the real goal is if you can get one of those two skips, you get AI dev as fast as possible, and then you use AI dev to skip whichever the, the, red, the tech skips you don't have, and then you use the tech skip to get prototype War Sun 2. That's how you skip Magmus Reactor. Now, I mm-hmm. say all that. You don't need to skip Magmus Reactor. It's a great tech if the Supernova's in a good spot. But if the Supernova's across the table and there's no wormholes to access it, and you don't have a very good Nova Seed plan, then Magmus Reactor is literally going to do nothing for you, so you're better off skipping it. But some games, like... The Magmus Reactor is like a, a choice part of, you know, Supernova is on your path to Mechatol or whatever. Sometimes Magmus Reactor is great. This is just anecdotal, but I feel like I've never seen Magmus Reactor used in an interesting way because you also sort of get Magmus Reactor on the house whenever you do Nova Seed, right? Like you, you once you place the, the it's not like you kill your units no, once your, you place your stuff stays the Nova there. Seed. Yeah, your stuff stays there. So that's a sitting in a new Supernova for free. So we can already sort of discount the, the move into a super the move into part right basically definitely. and then the production part i just yeah i gotta be honest i i have not seen people make much use of it i've seen no. i definitely seen a game where someone used it but maybe like one time for yeah. one build the the bigger argument here that i'm making is that you do want prototype war sun 2 and magmus reactor is on the path and it's better than duranium and it's better than self-assembly routines for you and it's better yeah. than yeah all, it's a it's shame be- that this is not a faction where self-assembly routines is know. good because it feels like if they could use it it actually might be a cool thing it's, but yeah it's not you'd make horrible for them but it's not i would not take it over magmus reactor magmus reactor i might get one choice use out of instead the the biggest thing being even at least when i nova seed i could build also out of that nova seed and that could be my my round four nova seed into producing a bunch of stuff could be a big deal leading into round five yeah and then sarween we can't even use no so if we if we pick up the yellow, so you kind of want to skip the yellow. You really honestly, want to. if that's the one that you're going to skip, it's yeah. probably that one. So we kind of just get I, okay. I get it. So it's like Magmus Reactor is kind of the pick because everything else uh, doesn't synergize well with, with you. Man, production is broken, right? Can we fix production? Yeah, production needs annoying. to be fixed, bro. <laughs> it's like there's too many exceptions. I yeah. want to get Sarween and use it as Mua. Why not? I need the value. Yeah, I need the money. Please, I use just the a cash, little bit bud. of extra money. Yeah. Uh, the last thing is the biggest thing, and we, we sort of talked about this earlier, but every single round of Muat is this wait and see thing of just, like mm-hmm. we said, round one, it's like, I'll let you all do your thing, and I'm just going to kind of unbed, and then this, and then, okay, now I'll do all my movements. Right. You should take that to heart, because that's how you uh, accomplish any of the things you want to accomplish in the mid and late game. Any of those control objectives, like we said, the last thing you want to do is move your Warson to them immediately, because then you just get jumped on. Um, or or your other stuff gets jumped on. You want your Swarsun to be a big question mark about what it's going to do, and then your last action uh, is to do the do the thing. And like in our game, I ended, I think two or even three of the rounds as the last to pass in our round. And you were a sorrel. Like I was out. You weren't care, You weren't like going hard on the the stall game. But oh yeah, as, I could have stalled you out. Bro. You, you, you could, if you had wanted you, you to, you could have, but you didn't need you to. You didn't outstall me, Matt. <laughs> Don't try and tell them that you outstalled me. The as point Muat. is that Muat. Just, I like, let stalls. you stall. I let you stall, Matt. Come on, come on. <laughs> oh. 
So yeah, Muat's not, not Muat's okay these days. They don't win games. It, what we learned the biggest thing games. is they in don't the tournament is they That's don't win games no. anymore, man. They do they, not. They, just so you know, everybody listening, you're not gonna win. Okay. Yeah. Even Rasmus, probably the person that's thought the most about Muat. It's not. He's not like he's winning all the time. It's just a puzzle to be solved, and it has not. It has not been solved yet. And I don't think there is a solution. I think no. I think that they were put in such a rough spot from their inception in yep. the first TI3 expansion that there hasn't been that no one there's no no one has figured out how to fix this issue cuz actually war suns suck i'm yep. i said it there yeah. i said it the real answer is it. that war suns suck so a faction based just completely around them is not going to be super great but They're hey too expensive. you're allowed to love them i liked playing as them they're a fun oh, yeah. faction they have fun decisions but the big frustration with them is in round 5 you kind of look at your war sons and go, well, those very much later need to do X and Y, and I don't have any other units that can accomplish. And there's only two anything. of them. There's I can't only do two. anything. It's so annoying how little why you can the, actually do. Why can't the Muat player have like one more? Like, dude, why so isn't their flagship a third war son? Yes, why isn't please. their flagship a third war son? Why can't it just be a third war son? Please give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, dude. The fact that Dane. I've been, I've been my new thing. I just like calling out Dane is funny. Um, <laughs> the fact that Dane added Cabal that can steal units oh that are God. in the reinforcements, yeah. and 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 then just like Muat has, you know, they vortex yeah. the the Muat uh, War Sun that's in the reinforcements. Disgusting, horrible. Yeah. D just would destroy. Deny Muat. I mean, you just be like, well, entire commander and can't engine. do the commander, can't do anything, and then like what? I mean, why would Cabal even? Like, you'd have to, like, ransom it back, yeah. I guess. Cabal would be like, all right, I'll ransom it back to you for some money because you're already, yeah. you know, Because Cabal doesn't even want to use that to research War Sons because then they no. got to steal another one to build Why the would they bother? Sun. No, no, no. Just it's, hold on it's, to it. It hurts the other player way more than it helps you as Cabal. Yep. So, yeah, every time that's happened, I'm just like, oh, icky. <sighs> icky. Yeah, and I, you know, I think we called it way back when, when we first started the show. The first time we talked about Muat, the thing that we said was they are egg-shaped, so it's hilarious that they put all their eggs yep. in one basket. And I think all POK has added is that now they put all their eggs in two baskets. But it's just two. <laughs> they only have two baskets. We have two baskets, one for each hand. And honestly, if one goes, it's actually pretty bad. So maybe we should just say one basket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one basket in two different places, and we have to keep an eye on our, our quantum entangled <laughs> basket. If, both, if one goes, the other one goes. Yeah, yeah. it's it's... It's pretty rough, um, but yeah, I think they're I think they are an interesting faction. I think they are a lot more interesting than they were uh, in base game. I still yep. think there's a lot of problems. It's weird that their win rate is really high in like the, the data collection stuff, which is odd. But, but then it was it's not very high in, in our tournament. Yeah, they failed every single time in our tournament. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Somebody's gonna somebody's gonna figure it out. Probably Rasmus. Rasmus will probably figure it out someday. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I want to thank all our weird bears, Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamish Emu, Brassbird, Brian, Kaluan, Son of Leto, Astoria, Alice, Ms. M. Lashevsky, uh, Sunfax, Absol, Rwise, Fancy Zeeling, and T.G. Welch. And I want to thank our Little Peace Turtles, Patience of Virtue, my son is also named Vort, Anvilir, Sturmy Sturm, Boo Poo, uh, shout out to Boo Poo, the Mahawks player that uh, made things so difficult for us in the recent game. What a wild ride. Boo Poo uh, is, is pure chaos, okay? <laughs> this is a chaos player, and I, I do not, Fear I do him. not hesitate to mention that on the show, okay? So if you play with Boo Poo, be he, he'll do, I don't know, I don't know what 
this guy this He's guy oh my god oh uh, my also doberhawa frank g gaskio goondock reka carnal rollo uncle batty and teddy's jam for you hey also the tournament four invitation was sent out this last weekend you have one total week to respond to that so if you've been waiting uh hey this is your reminder if you received that email check your spam folder yeah. uh if you want to get into the tournament and you are a patron in november Respond to that email, fill out the form. You have until Saturday, December 11th at 20 UTC to respond. A full seven days is what you get to respond to that invite. At At the end of that time, we will cut it off. We will figure out how many qualifiers we have, how many prelims we have. Well, not how many prelims we have, but how many buy rounds we have. And from that point on, people that sign up, you can continue to respond but you are placed on the wait list. You are a part of the wait list that makes mm-hmm. up the people who fill in for us after uh, the, the game, after we get dropped players, which happens with this tournament. This tournament has a high yeah. drop rate because yep, yep, it yep. takes six months. It takes a long time. You're, you might not even like the game anymore by the time we <laughs> That's get literally happened. That has literally happened. Someone has signed up before in November and then we called on them in March to play their prelim game. They're like, yeah, I don't really play anymore. I'm I don't done. play this. <laughs> I'm done with this game. I don't know why I signed up for this because I don't like this game anymore. That's, hey, I get it. Um, <laughs> send us this Imperium Life Stories to spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com. Um, let's talk Galactic Council. So we got a new poll out. And and I just want to throw this out there. There was an agreement made last month between the the lore heads and the people that are interested in sidereal sidereal, sidereal confluence. (laughs) They made an agreement. The sidereal people would vote for the lore uh, stuff. And now the lore people are supposed to vote for the sidereal stuff. Good luck. uh, Because here, here is your poll. First option. Round... How to negotiate round one. That's what I'm going to call it. It's a round one negotiations overview. Uh, It's an unprepped one, so it's going to be very, you know, very theory crafty. We're just going to talk about how do you negotiate round one. Second option, PDS, when and why, you know, (laughs) just breaking down factions that are good at PDS. Why do they go PDS? Uh, Argent, Argent. We're going to talk about Argent. Sure. Um, And there's a couple others. Um, Third option. This one's hilarious. Twilight Imperium, the video game. <laughs> Not really sure what that one is. That's. I guess we talk about if Twilight Imperium was a video game. Surely it would just be a digital board game. Actually, nope. if it was a video I'm game. I'm going to make a point to make it not that. It ain't going to be that. Okay. Um, Twilight Imperium, the, l- the life sim. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Second life, but it's Twilight Imperium. Um, and uh, hopefully creepier. Um, si- <laughs> sidereal? Sidereal? What is it? Sidereal. Sidereal Confluence. Some game. Yeah. We'll play it. Um, the Loreheads are supposed to vote for this. Uh, I will say this poll is a little stacked, so I hope we did not ruin that. Um, it was a non-binding sidere- deal. So It was a non-binding deal. So we will see what happens now. Maybe some Galactic Council infighting. As yeah. long as they're not fighting with me, I don't care. Um <laughs> homebrewers guild uh let's keep working on the strategy cards and the secret objective actually i don't need more strategy cards yeah i i was looking over them i have plenty of good ones it's gonna be a messed up game i'll tell you that much um so just send in secret objectives we're gonna do a late december uh homebrewers guild game of both these to kind of round out our season of homebrewers guild and then next year homebrewers guild we're gonna work on something different 
Can, can I make a request yeah. for the secret objective portion of that home mm-hmm. guild game? Can it be 20 secret objectives? Like old school base yeah. game. Every, like it's going to be very easy. If, if they have the list of secret objectives, they're going to be able to discern yeah. what everybody else has. There's one in there that's like my new favorite thing. It relies on the idea that there's not that many secret objectives. But one of the secret objectives proposed was that there's two copies of it in the deck. And it's uh, you reveal this secret objective and you only score it when the other person reveals their secret <laughs> objective with the same name. And I think that's the funniest, greatest mechanic ever. Oh, <laughs> that's so good. What fa- is it an action phase secret objective? Yeah, yeah, it's, you- it's, it's like an any time or action phase or whatever, but it's it's you reveal it and you need the other person to reveal theirs too. <laughs> that's really funny. I think it makes more sense as status phase if it's like, all Probably. right, I'm going to score. Here's this. Do Does anybody else score? <laughs> um, yeah, that's really funny. I like that a lot. So yeah, more secret objectives, please. Yep, 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 um, yep. And yeah, that's it. That's what yep. I got. You can uh, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever else you listen to this podcast. Five stars, please. We would love it. Yummy, yummy. Five stars in my tummy. Uh, you can also go to our website, spacecatspeaceturtles.com to find information about our Patreon and how to get involved with that. Uh, we would love it if you were a part of our Patreon, even when it's not the hot thing to do because it's tournament season. Just come be a patron because it's fun to vote on polls and play in games with us and stuff. Also, our Twitter's on there, Space Cats Pod. Uh, you can find the links to the Discord and come hang out and talk with us. And you can find our Threadless with all our cool shirts and merch. And you can buy a beach towel with a weird bear on it. That's a fun thing you get to do. Well, wait, you can? I didn't know you could do that. You can buy the beach towel with the weird bear on it? Well, I don't know. It's, you can buy a beach towel with our logo on it. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say. I was like, whoa, Did that's you restrict? Hunter, got, Hunter, Hunter decided you're not allowed to have the weird bear on a beach towel. That's, that's for shirts and sweaters that's- only. No, that's not how it works, Matt. You just don't know how the threadless works, and that's why you said that. And now you just revealed that knowledge that I'm the one that knows how threadless works, and you're the one that don't. Um, hey there, space catters and uh, space uh, puppies uh, and whatever. Um, it's me. It's Hunter. It's your host. Well, your main host, the 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 important one. Um, so if you happen to live in uh, Portland, Oregon, which I have some analytics here that says that some of you do, um, you might know that I am uh, currently planning to move to New York City. But before I move to New York City, I'm going to have a big comedy going away show. Now, I know some Space Cats listeners don't like comedy. That's fine. I don't care. If you don't like comedy, whatever. You can just ignore this one. Just skip ahead. But if you've never seen me do comedy or you want to come out to a comedy show and you live in Portland, well, guess what? You've only got one opportunity left. Uh, my going away show is going to be at the Eastside uh, Rogue Brewing location uh, on, uh, it's on Southeast 9th Street. Probably should have had it pulled up, huh, the address. Oh, well, you can look it up. And actually, tickets are not available for it yet, uh, but there are two shows. One show at 7, one, sh- one show at 9. Um, and if you want more information on how to get tickets, or if you want, yeah, if you just want to know about comedy shows I'm going to be doing around town, uh, before I leave, just follow me on Instagram at Hungry Hunty at H U N G R Y H U N T Y. I uh, post a lot of uh, pictures of dirty plates from restaurants, but that's not important. What is important is if you want to come see my show, then you should follow me on Instagram. Okay, all right. This is my ad. Goodbye. What do What do we want to talk about on the outro here? Well, what the outro we, here is we've entered um, the at, outro. At time of recording, I have seven minutes before I have to go play. Uh, a, a game of root in Garrick's <clears throat> winter tournament. 
Oh, uh, the, the last tournament. time I played Root was with the wonderful folks over at Woodland War Machine, as well as Lord of the Board. Um, Lot B. I won that game, so I am the champion of Root, but it was totally not a deserved win. And uh, before that game, I have not played Root in a long time. 100% expect to lose, but go check out the VOD of that game and see how badly I lose and who I lose to, because um, I, I think it will probably be a, a devastating loss that you will all relish in. And and the best thing about Matt is even if he wins, you know, next week you'll hear him talk about how he didn't deserve it. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, I won, but only because they let me. I've um, never won a game in my life because when I win, I don't. It doesn't feel like a win, you know? Right, right. I I will never understand it. I've I've told people that I won when I didn't. That's my thing. <laughs> I've lost games and walked away and been like, I won that game. You know what I mean? Like sometimes in your head, you're just like, oh, I won. Like I well, you won, won our though. game the other day. No, I didn't. I M H O. Yeah, in your opinion, me. I did. In my opinion, I did not. That's not the type of game where I would walk away from it and be like, yep, I actually won. Um, no, those are games that nobody knows about. Like if somebody wasn't there, if it wasn't streamed, I win all 100% yeah. of the games that you can't see on the YouTube or on Twitch. I won every single one of them. There's not a single one. The other day, how about this? Yesterday, I played five games. Yeah. Back to back to back to back to back. Yeah. And I won them all. Wow. You're the champ, Hunter. Yeah. You're the freaking yeah. champ. Yeah. Now, I was playing by myself in the dark in my closet, and I don't even have a closet right now, so I don't even know what that means. I don't have a place to live. So, I mean, no, I do. I mean, I'm staying somewhere, but uh, very weird time in my life. Um, so. What a wonderful note to go out on. Thanks, Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Life can get really strange sometimes. Um, excited about New York, though. Is it over? <laughs> yeah, it's over. I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go back. Back to the couch with me. Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>